Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to another episode of The Delicious Legacy. I'm your host, Thomas Dinas, and together we explore archaeogastronomical mysteries. It's been a while since my last episode, um, I have to admit that, but um, I've been busy. We've all been busy. In any case, I, was, um, I had this one ready for quite a while, and I was thinking... I was trying to find time to record it, which uh, yeah proved a bit difficult. And also another challenging aspect of it was that um, I think it's quite long episode. Um, this one I wasn't sure if this if this episode should have been um, one or two, so I was kind of um, like uh, torn in between, really. Um, so yeah, today's episode is all about um, the humoral theory and how that um, influenced um, the diet of the ancient Greeks. And the ancient Romans, of course, and how that uh, passed um, through the ages to the Byzantine Empire, what what we call the Byzantine Empire, which was the Eastern Roman Empire, of course, and through the to the Arab world, spread to the Arab to the medieval Arab world, and of course to most of the rest of the Western Europe. So, the diet and how we eat, and the balance between food and medicine, and how that af- affects our health, and what foods we should eat what time of the year it was all kind of developed uh, from ancient Greece and it was and it was basically in in vogue for about 2000 years really and then really after the medieval time after the renaissance things changed and the medicine became a bit more modern and a bit more scientific so why not uh, try and explore what are the humors and um, how they influence the diet of the ancients and let's find out today the theory of maintaining or regaining one's health through a lifestyle of moderation and balance was called dietetics. More than in our days, diet played a role in preventing and curing diseases. And in fact, it was one of the main areas of study at medieval medical schools. And of course, throughout antiquity too. Not surprisingly, foodstuffs and dishes were seen in much the same way as simple and compound drugs, and like them, they were classified in accordance with the theory of the four humors, by which was meant a theory of the four bodily fluids. To find out the history of this early scientific theory, we must go back to the 6th 
century BC to such Greek philosophers as Anaximenes, Heraclitus and Thales. In their attempts to find answers to the question of what was the basis for all life, they came up with various elements, including air, fire and water. By the 5th century BC, Empedocles postulated that there were four basic elements, fire, water, air and earth, and four basic colors, and his contemporary Zeno spoke of four basic qualities, hot, cold, wet and dry. It was Hippocrates, the famous Greek physician, the father of medicine, and his followers, who around 400 BC, added to the four qualities of Zeno the four bodily fluids, blood, phlegm, black bile and yellow bile, and formulated a prototype of what came to be known as the humoral theory. So blood was aligned with the basic qualities of hot and wet, and the season spring, yellow bile with hot and dry, and summer. Black bile with cold and dry and fall, and autumn, and phlegm with cold and wet and winter. In time, the four organs, heart, liver, spleen and brain, and the four stages of life, childhood, adolescence, adulthood and old age, were added to the system. And fire came to be associated with the quality hot, water with wet, air with cold, and earth with dry. Aristotle claimed that of the basic qualities only the four combinations hot and dry, hot and wet, cold and dry, and cold and wet were possible. And he was the first to speak of the four temperaments, one of the few remnants of humoral theory that has survived into our 21st century. When we describe a person's temperament today as sanguine, choleric, melancholic, or phlegmatic, we are, in effect, referring to the dominant bodily fluid or humor. So that blood, bloody sanguis, yellow bile is holy, black bile, melanicholy, and flame. It's incredible, isn't it, that still after two and a half thousand years <laughs> there are remnants of this theory to our day. The Greek physician, who was the most prolific medical writer and who influenced medieval medicine more than any other, was Galen of Pergamon of the 2nd century CE. In selecting and harmonizing elements of the humoral theory that he found in Plato, Aristotle, Hippocrates and others, he created a system that was capable of describing the world as a whole and all inanimate and animate objects in it. Galen added to the system the four qualities of taste, sweet, bitter, sour and salty, and that he aligned them with the fluids blood, yellow bile, black bile and phlegm, respectively. When it comes to temperaments, Galen lists a total of nine, four with one prevailing quality, four in which two qualities are balanced, and the perfect state in which all qualities are balanced. So by Byzantine times, the theory of humors was accepted without question by doctors and the court alike, and even amongst the common people. Foods had to be judged and balanced for their effects on the bodily humors. Month by month, hour by hour and according to individual constitution. So we see here a very personalized um, type of, um, I guess, a diet, we would call that. So Galen, when, when, he, when he comes to temperaments and his uh, nine different temperaments, uh, talks about balance and imbalance. Imbalance in the form of too much heat and dryness, for instance, was thought of as burning an organism to death. 
too much cold was thought of freezing an organism to death. Other aspects found in Galen's system are different types of uh, fevers assigned to the humors, as well as the male principle attached to yellow bile and the female principle attached to phlegm. In the Christian Middle Ages, the four temperaments were firmly linked with the humoral system, as were the four cardinal points, the four evangelists, the Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian and Mixolydian modes of ancient music. As early as the 2nd century CE, the planets and signs of the zodiac had also become integrated in the system. In its most elaborated form, the humoral theory would assign to blood, for instance, the prime qualities of hot and wet, in addition to spring, childhood, red and sweet air, continuous fever, mourning, a serene or a ruffled disposition, the sanguine temperament, the apostle Mark, the planet Jupiter, the Lydian mode, and the signs of zodiac, Gemini, Taurus and Aries. Important for the description of foodstuffs and drugs was a refinement of the humoral th- system, first documented in Galen, who further divided the basic qualities, hot, cold, wet and dry, into four levels of intensity, known in medieval Europe under the Latin term gradus, meaning degree. Galen applied this fine-tuning in his books on simple and compound drugs, but not in his description of the nutritional qualities of foodstuffs. This was to come later, when Arab physicians began using the Galenic system. For Galen, as for Hippocrates before him, drugs differed from foodstuffs in the effects they were thought to have on the body. Drugs supposedly altered the body, while foodstuffs merely increased its substance. Weak is the adjective used by Galen to describe the lowest level of intensity, or first degree, followed by noticeable for the second, strong or violent for the third, and extreme for the fourth. A further subdivision of degrees into beginning, middle and end, suggested by Galen in his medical writings, would have led to a total of 12 levels of intensity. But this never caught on in late classical and medieval Arab or Western medical literature. What the Arabs did, however, was to extend the use of gradus to the description of foodstuffs, and the reason for this is that there existed a grey area between foods and drugs where the two categories overlapped. Galen, for instance, listed a variety of herbs, spices, fruits and vegetables, such as marjoram, dill, mint, caraway, cinnamon, saffron, fennel, poppy seed, mustard, squash, cucumber, wheat, barley, lentils, apricots, citrons, onions and garlic, in both his book on simple drugs and his book on foodstuffs. The majority of these items were herbs and spices. When the 10th century Arab physician, known in the West as Hali Abbas, summarized and systematized Galenic medicine, he distinguished between the four different categories, remedies, poisons, remedial foods, and pure foods, which he defined in the following way. Lettuce, garlic, and onions are examples of remedial foods in Hali Abbas's uh, theory. In his specific list of foodstuffs, uh, the Arab writer follows Galen's book of foods, but adds levels of intensity to 30 items. 28 of them, plants, plus honey and wine. Incidentally, all of these 30 foodstuffs are also discussed in Galen's book on simple drugs. Historically, this is not unusual because many foodstuffs, especially exotic ones, such as spices, were first used to make perfumes, perfumed oils, medicines or aromatic wines in ancient Greece, before they were incorporated in cooking. The medical work that contains Hali Abbas's list of pure and remedial foodstuffs was translated from Arabic into Latin in Monte Cassino 
Italy, by the monk Constantine the African and given the Latin title Liber Pateni or Liber Egius. It became the textbook at the nearby medical school of Salerno, south of Naples, the first and for a long time the most famous medical school of medieval Europe. Halia Bassi's special blend of Greek and Arab medicine was thus disseminated throughout the continent. Aside from Gallen's list of foodstuffs and simple compound drugs, uh, the book on herbs of the Greek writer Dioscuridis from the first century CE was also mined for information on the properties of various plants and modernized in a way to include information on degrees of intensity. The Arabic writer from Baghdad, who made the most extensive use of the Gradu system and who leaned heavily on Galen and the herbal of Dioscuridis, was known in the West as Ibn Butlan. In the 11th century, he put together a practical handbook for physicians in chart form called Taquinum, Taquinum Sanitatis, or otherwise Tables of Health. It quickly gained popularity in Europe and in some versions was embellished with more than 200 illustrations on miniatures, depicting a wide range of foodstuffs used in the medieval kitchen whose humoral properties and effects on the human body the text describes. In the Taquinum of Ibn Butlan, which extends the use of Gratus system beyond plants to meat and animal products, as well as the four seasons, clothes, scents and winds, we have a more extensive and more complicated system, uh, as, we, as we can see. So, of the 172 foodstuffs listed in the manuscript of Taquinum, for instance, 150 of them contain uh, gradus information. Greek, Arabic and Western medical texts never provided such minute monthly diet plans, usually just some general guidelines on what to eat and what to avoid. What captured their attention more, it seems, were women's strange cravings during pregnancy and the phenomenon of morning sickness. Hippocrates, for example, on the 5th century BC, already warns of the consequences if women's cravings for eating earth or coal are meant, namely that the baby that's about to be born will bear the signs of these things on its head. <laughs> Weird, I know. M- not very <laughs> scientific and med- medical, uh, right? Anyway, Galen attempts an explanation of such cravings on the basis of humoral pathology and claims that women who display the symptom have an excess of bad humor or bodily fluid. According to him, women crave sour, very bitter or acrid things along with earth, shells, coals and other strange substances. He sees a progression from the strange cravings early on in the pregnancy to morning sickness in the fourth month that manifests itself in vomiting and nausea. Medical writers in Byzantium were among the first in Europe to devise corrective dietary regimens for pregnant women suffering from disorders such as vomiting, overeating, increased secretion of saliva, heartburn and nausea, exercise and savory food that is neither too bitter nor too sweet, so in particular poultry, bread, fragrant wine, all to be consumed in moderation, are often recommended. Occasionally, even acrid food like mustard or cold food like lettuce is recommended. The famous Arab physicians Razis, Hali Abbas and Avicenna also comment on the diet of pregnant women in their respective regiments. So Razis warns against acrid and bitter foodstuffs like capers, lupins 
and unripe olives in particular, and foodstuffs such as chickpeas, green beans, and rue that provoke urine and menstruation, that is, induce abortion. Rue especially had been known that, and used in antiquity as a means of birth control. What Razitz recommends is delicate food, in particular, chicken, partridge, and goat, all eaten in several small meals a day, and moderate quantities of fragrant wine that has been diluted slightly with water. Onions, mustard, pomegranates, sour apples and limes, he claims, help restore lost appetite. Hali Abbas's pregnancy regimen gives much the same advice. Avicenna, who pays special attention to corrective nutrition, expands on the information his predecessors provide. He tells which type of bread pregnant women should eat, the acrid and bitter foods they should avoid, the beverage that enhance a woman's fertility, and the type of food a woman should eat during the second month of her pregnancy, which is namely raisins, sweet quinces, pears, apples, and pomegranates. A lot of fruits and a lot of sugar, it seems. As with the general regimens for healthy adults compiled in um, Latin by European physicians, regimens for pregnant women followed those uh, of the Arab medical authorities. Here and there, other material is included, such as the warning that too much salt in the mother's diet results in babies being born without nails, a warning already that has been voiced uh, by the Roman writer Pliny. But, by and large, they continue to recommend wholesome foods that in Hali Abbas's classification would belong to the category pure food. Above all, chicken, partridge, goat and some wine. So some examples of dietary advice given for foods is the following. Uh, so we have specific um, food items here. So garlic. So garlic is hot and drying to the middle of the fourth degree. It is extremely favorable to those in whom thick, viscous and harsh humors have collected as it moves and cuts them. The unpleasant quality of its juice disappears when boiled in water. Honey. Honey is hot and dry to the second degree, cleansing, and made up of fine particles. It has a bitterness, however, which encourages the bowels to evacuate. It becomes more diuretic, is more easily digested, and doesn't excite the bowels when it is mixed with plenty of water and left to ferment until it has formed a good head of foam. Onion. Onions are hot and dry to the fourth degree, and moist to the third degree. Their substance is dense. They are diuretic, aid the production of semen, and increase the appetite. But they also cause headaches and stomach problems. For this reason, some say that they are harmful to the faculty of reason. <laughs> All this stuff might uh, seem quite uh, random to us today, but um, um, it was proper medical advice back then. People followed this um, this um, advice uh, very closely. Uh, Theodore Prodromus, who was a prolific uh, poet of the 12th century, wrote about foods and healthy lifestyle month by month. Among the scraps of advice, we have the following. In March, sweet food and aromatic wine. In April, keep off radish. In May, no sausages. In July, no sex. Much too heating. In August, eat fruit. In September, drink milk. In October, poultry and licks. In November, don't have any baths. In December, uniquely, Theodor Prodromus mentions a special occasion. In December, I hunt hares, festival food from the wild, 
a film of dishes with tasty partridges that celebrate the feast of nativity, the greatest feast of the word of God. Take generously of all foods, I say, and reject the melancholy cabbage. That the food was uh, divided into kinds according to the teachings of Hippocrates, as we have seen, and most notably into hot and cold foods, reminds us, for us now, it brings us a little bit the idea of the Chinese principles of yin and yang. So the idea was to counter the effects of the climate by opposites, so that the diet of hot foods for cold weather was high in calories, and the diet of cold foods in hot weather low in calories, or to correct the ill effects of the humors, so heating anemic temperaments or cooling uh, plethoric dispositions, warming and cheering the melancholy, refreshing the passionate um, humors, and so on. So these four humors were essentially the products of heat, cold, dryness and humidity. And especially, um, so we also have specifically for man, man was hot and dry and woman was cold and damp. So by means of a judicious diet, you could correct bad outside influences, climatic or even cosmic. Aldebrandin of Siena, like the Salerno school we've seen earlier, classified food under four headings, hot, cold, dry and wet. Descriptions which had nothing to do with the actual consistency of, or temperature of the dishes served. Illness was an error, a mistake in functioning owing to a surplus of humors. To prevent it or to combat it, you had to correct the excesses and re-establish equilibrium, eating cold foods if you had an excess of hot humors and vice versa, taking dry foods to correct humid humors or the other way around. Accordingly, it was advisable to eat spices, uh, which were the hot substances par excellence, in cold winter weather. And note that uh, in winter, one puts in more ginger to make the spices stronger, for in winter, all sauces must be stronger than in summer, which is an instruction from uh, the Ménagier de Paris. For instance, and according to Arnaud de Villeneuve, sauces proper for winter contain ginger, cinnamon, pepper and cloves. These spices heighten the beneficial effects of the hot and humid meat of chicken, suitable for winter food. The notion of humors and the idea that disease was related to some imbalance of them was only one of the many theories uh, in antiquity, some of which completely ignored them. For Galen, the definitive theory was that articulated in the Hippocratic nature of man. The nature of man was made of blood, phlegm, yellow bile and black bile, and it was through this that the body felt pain and maintained health. If their balance was disturbed, the body experienced disease, so Galen said. Sometimes there is an accumulation in it of phlegm, and other times of bile. Of the phlegm itself, some is acid, some sweet and some without any perceptible quality, and some is watery, some thick. Of the bile, some is yellow and some is pale, both admitting of great variation in degree, leaving aside of the other biles that are manifested in already diseased bodies. So with each of the humors mentioned being readily disposed either to the evacuation or restraint of the stomach, when the solid parts of the above foods arrive there, complete with their specific juices, they reinforce humors with the same property as themselves, but counteract those with the opposite property. In fact, they also say that these often act not only as foods, but also as drugs, clearly warming, cooling, drying and moistening us, so that whenever one of them is not acting upon the human body, but is only nourishing it, under these circumstances, it will not be defined as a drug. One can find many people 
making the most contradictory statements about the same foods. At any rate, recently certain two persons were debating with one another, the one declaring that honey is healthy, the other that it's caused illness. So all this is uh, on Gallen's book, right? Each made his judgment according to how himself w- was affected by it, not considering beyond this that all men do not have a single mixture from the beginning, or if they did, that they do not keep it unchanged in old age, just as they do not do so during seasonal or geographical changes, for the moment ignoring the fact that by their customs and ways of life they also change the innate disposition of their bodies. At any rate, to come straight to the point, one of those men who were at odds with each other about honey was older, more mucus by nature and lazy in his lifestyle, and all other activities, not least in regard to exercise before bathing. Consequently, honey was of benefit to him, but the other was by nature bilious, 30 years of age and endured many hardships in his daily activities. So it was likely, in this case, the honey has been quickly converted to bile. I myself also knew someone who complained about the region at the mouth of the stomach when I calculated from what he said that phlegm had accumulated in it. I recommended that licks and bits be taken with mustard, and when they cut the phlegm, the stomach emptied better, and he was relieved of all symptoms. On the other hand, again, when he once suffered from indigestion and knowing abdominal pains after bitter foods, not only was he not helped with the knowing by taking beet and mustard, he was actually made worse. And then, wondering how he was so badly affected by what previously had given him great benefit, he approached me to learn the reason. Today's episode, it comes with the welcome support of Malby and Greek, the number one delicatessen, supplier, and distributor of premium Greek produce from all the wild corners of Greece and with products from small artisanal producers. So why not try today some of the Malbin Greek's amazing early harvest extra virgin olive oil, their own one, which I find fantastically delicious, and um, some six-month barrel-aged feta cheese from uh, Costarellos, and uh, some of the double-baked barley rusts from Kithira, and of course the wild Cretan oregano. Very few ingredients, very simple ingredients, but together the combination is exquisite. So what I do is take a barley rusk, put a bit of feta cheese, drizzle with a bit of olive oil, and I sprinkle it with a bit of oregano, and this is simple yet super delicious starter for anyone. Anyone will eat it and enjoy it. This is something I swear by. Try it and you won't regret it. Malbin Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. You can buy the exquisite goods online at malbiandgreek.com or if you go to the shop in Bermondsey, Lucy Way. And of course, for you, dear listeners, there is a 15% discount if you buy online with the code DELICIOUS. Enjoy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So we see on this passage from uh, Galen the train of thought and the process of how people used food as uh, medicine in the ancient world. On uh, Regimen, the work of Hippocrates, it begins as follows. One must know the property of every food and drink, both natural and acquired through art. Some other details about um, foods and what to take and when. The purest bread is called Silignis, and the next one is called Semidalis. While Semidalis is an ancient Greek name, Silignis is not Greek, but I cannot give it any other name. Now, Silignis is the most nourishing of them. Next is Semidalis, and the one in the middle, wholemeal, is third. Fourth is the group from unwinnowed grain, of which the bran loaf is the worst. It is indeed the least nourishing, and of all the breads, it moves the bowels most. The best concocted breads are those that have been most leavened and well kneaded and baked in an oven with moderate heat. Greater heat scorches at once when first applied, and produces a pottery-like appearance on the outside, and the loaf turns out to be of poor quality on two counts, with its inside row inadequately baked and its crust overbaked, dry like pottery. With heat that is less than moderate, the bread is not well baked, but the whole loaf is rather raw, the inside most of all. Those that are baked uniformly throughout, in moderate heat, for a longer time, are also very well concocted in the stomach and are most suited to the sequence of activities that occurs following concoction. Clearly, the worst breads are those to which none of the above applies. So among breads too, while one that has not been very well baked nor has much leaven is suitable for an athlete and one that has been very well baked in the oven and has much leaven is suitable for an ordinary individual or an old person. One which is absolutely unleavened is not fit for anybody. But if one also adds cheese to the bread, as holiday makers among our country folk usually prepare it, there is a certain harm for everybody, even if some of them are very strong in body constitution, such as those who are by nature the best reapers and ditch diggers. For these people are observed to concoct unleavened breads better than the strongest athletes. Medical advice from the, that was medical advice from the 10th century. 
So there's a list now of uh, foods, uh, vegetables, legumes and fruits that should be eaten or not eaten according to the month, the yearly calendar. So in January, one can eat cabbage, turnip, carrot, leek, wild asparagus, olive shoots, bay, ground peas, raisins, almonds, pistachios, pomegranate seeds, pomegranates, pears and dates. In February, do not eat wild herbs, cabbage or beet. Eat fruits just like in January. In March, beet, mallow, asparagus, mushrooms, bay, olives, boiled wheat, split peas, grinded peas, other peas, bean fruits and other fruits as in February, as well as dates. In April, lettuce, fresh dill, coriander, fresh garlic, leek. Fresh pulses, do not eat dry pulses or dried fruits. In May, in general, as in April. Also olive shoots, wild asparagus, thyme. Do not eat dry, salty and bitter food. In June, do not eat garlic, onions or radish. Eat gourd, sea kale, beet, purslane, lettuce and div, celery, cucumber, white cherries, bottle gourds. In July, as in June, do not eat pungent and bitter and hot herbs. Eat melons, white figs, grapes, pears, apples, plums, nectarines. Do not eat dried fruits. In August, do not eat mallow, all wild herbs, black olives, dry pools. Eat olives, beet, blight, curds, fresh fruits, namely figs, grapes, pears, white plums and ripe nectarines. In September, leek, asparagus, white mushrooms. Do not eat cabbage, turnip, black olives, beans, lentils, peas. Eat grapes, pears, white plums, apples, nectarines, melons, white figs, pomegranates, dates, quinces, pistachios, almonds, pomegranate seeds. In October, do not eat cabbage, turnip, asparagus, white mushrooms. Also beans, lentils, peas. Eat white grapes, apples, white figs, medlars, Persian peaches, dates, pomegranates, quinces, pistachios, almonds, hazelnuts. Do not eat laurel berries. In November, eat prasomoloha. Not eat beans, lentils, lupins, dates, laurel berries. Eat all dry fruits and vegetables. In December, in general as November, do not eat cabbage, watercress, lentils, olives pickled in brine. Food and medicine were closely linked in the ancient world. And it was from the medical lore of the antiquity that medieval medical ideas developed. In particular, theories about food values derived from the writings of the Greek Dr. Galen and his followers. So Galen, who lived uh, from 100 C, studied medicine in Alexandria, in Egypt, and developed a reputation in Rome as a surgeon to gladiators. The links between the Colosseum and the imperial court meant that he, was, he eventually became the doctor and friend of the emperor Marcus Aurelius. Galen was an advocate of the traditional Greek medical idea propounded originally by Hippocrates, and that the body was made of the mixture of the four humors, as we've seen. There were the black bile, yellow bile, blood and phlegm. Each of these substances governed a particular characteristic temperament and was associated with one of the four elements and with a specific bodily organ. Thus, black bile corresponding to the element earth and to the spleen, and produced melancholy. Yellow bile corresponding to fire and located in the gallbladder led to anger. Blood was associated with air and the liver and produced a sanguine temperament, while phlegm was watery associated with the brain and lungs and led to phlegmatic temperament. 
Its humor also had properties relating to warmth, cold and so on. Yellow bile was warm and dry, black bile cold and dry, blood warm and moist, phlegm cold and moist. Proper health, gallantot, lay in maintaining a balance between these tendencies. Since some people were predisposed to one or the other humor, it was necessary to ensure that the others were compensated for, in their intake, in order to achieve balance. The influence of Galen on the medieval understanding of health and diet cannot be underestimated. In Byzantium, Galen's writings provided the material for a series of derivative compilations, such as the Peritrophon Dynamis on the power of foods. Another uh, derivative treatise by Simeon Seth on ailments, which links treatments of some maladies to specific foods, became highly influential in, in its own right in the Greek-speaking world. Simeon Seth was a Jewish physician, probably from the Greek-speaking city of Antioch, who served as a palace chamberlain to the Byzantine emperor Michael VII, uh, 1071 to 1078 uh, CE. Although Simeon's work takes Galen's theories as a starting point, he also made use of Arabic and Persian medical and dietary texts, and in fact is rather critical of Galen in the light of his knowledge of these Eastern traditions. One feature of the derivative treatises is that their authors had to take account of new foods that they were being introduced into the Mediterranean uh, markets. For example, when the Oborzin appeared from India via the Arab world, Simeon Seth could not find any vegetable corresponding to it in Galen and had to use his own experimental knowledge. Other manuals, such as the Tarquinium Sanitatis, shared with the Galenic works the premise that all foods had humoral values like we've seen dry, moist, hot or cold, or combination of these. Food was non-neutral, but as part of the material world also possessed the qualities of the humors. Food types might be hot, dry, cold or moist, or a combination. Thus, to take a single example from Tachinium, fennel was warm and dry, useful for the eyesight and for keeping down fevers, but it might also be dangerous to women in interfering with menstruation. However, this danger could be neutralized through taking carob seeds to counterbalance its effects. Diet, therefore, was critical in maintaining the humoral balance. A person suffering from a fever clearly exhibited hot and wet symptoms, and was thus considered to be suffering from a surfeit of sanguine humors. The solution was an intake of cold and dry substances to redress the balance. The humoral theory also lent itself to preventative care. Eating food known to have a property of, of heat, for example, counteracted the humoral tendency towards a cold, or towards an illness. Selecting the appropriate food to eat was a question of balancing different considerations. Scientific texts on food values also distinguished between the value or benefit of cooked and raw food, recognizing that what might be indigestible or produce negative effects when in a raw state could be beneficial when cooked. And wheat is such an example, and it was considered the best of grains, and probably for the blood, but barley was suitable for those with a hot constitution. Barley water, which was both moist and cold, helped alleviate chest ailments by treating both heat and thirst. Rice was an example of a food whose value changed with cooking. In its natural inedible state, it was thought to constrict the bowels, but when boiled and seasoned, it became good for them. Legumes and pulses had mixed benefits. Broad beans were considered cold, and if boiled with vinegar, were thought to inhibit bowel movement. Chickpeas were considered naturally hot and they were beneficial when boiled, being more nutritious and producing a broth that helped treat kidney stones. 
while lentils were considered cold and dry and thus counteracted those with naturally hot temperaments. As we've seen, eating beans undressed with oil or vinegar was part of the Lenten diet in some Byzantine monasteries. Here, a religious taboo may coincide with notions of health eating. It may indeed be that the Lenten diet evolved from the need to provide balance throughout the year in the ways in which potentially harmful combinations of food were eaten. One of the earliest sources of our knowledge for the medieval understanding of how diet affected health comes from the book called The Observation of Foods by Anthemus, a member of the court of Theodoric, the Ostrogothic king of Italy in the late 5th century. It may even have been written for the king, who despite his Gothic birth had grown up in Constantinople. It was a highly literate Greek speaker. In his preface, Anthemus explains that we should aim for a balance in the kinds of foods we eat, just as a builder will mix lime and water for cement in the right proportions, in the knowledge that this cement will only work if the quantities of its ingredient are right. Goes on to say that for those living in the civilized world, the regulation of diet through variety is essential. It is true, he admits, that there are peoples in the world who can subsist on only one kind of food, but that is because they live in regions where they have had to adapt to their environments or follow lifestyles that demand it. Barbarian peoples can stomach raw meat because they are pastoralists who keep large herds of livestock but grow little food of their own. They therefore live largely on meat and milk, the produce of their herds. On the other hand, Romans, who have the luxury of enjoying different foods and delicacies and different drinks, must regulate their diet if they want to keep their health. Anthemus' little book is not particularly Galenic in its approach. Although Anthemus accepts uncritically the four humors theory underlying the medicine of his day, his book is more practical than theoretical. It seems rather to combine sound practical observation with an element of folklore. His main concern is to show how foods that might threaten one's health should be cooked or eaten so as to ensure that they are not harmful. Thus, beef should always, according to Athimus, be casseroled by cooking it slowly in fresh water, then mixed with vinegar, leeks and parsley or fennel, to which honey, pepper, cloves and spikenard are added after long cooking. Mutton is good either roasted or cooked in gravy, but loin of pork should only be roasted and never eaten with sauce. Nothing gives more pleasure than bacon, but it should not be roasted because the fat falls into the fire and dries out the meat. So instead, it should be boiled and then cooled before eating. Bacon should never be eaten fried either, because it's bad for the health, although bacon fat might be used for cooking when no oil is suitable or available. Interesting um, idea here, (laughs) which um, kind of contradicts what we do nowadays, which we love, I guess, fried bacon, but also we know it's bad for the health. In any case, uh, raw bacon, on the other hand, is very good for the digestion because it cleans out the guts, expels worms and tones up the stomach. Now, that's an advice I don't think uh, we should follow, eat raw bacon. It can also be used, apparently, uh, as a poultice for treating wounds. Anthemus also had rules and recommendations about fruit and vegetables. Mallow, beets and leeks are healthy all the year round, but cabbages only in the winter. Mustard greens and turnips are only good when boiled and eaten with bacon and vinegar. Parsnips, which have the benefit of promoting urine, should be eaten either boiled or parboiled, then sauteed, while cucumber seeds are a good remedy for kidney problems. 
Fruit could be eaten fresh or dried, but here again the humoral and nutritional effects altered according to the state. Fresh figs and grapes were considered the most nourishing, but dried figs eaten by themselves, being hot and dry, produced blood and gas and could be harmful to those with hot constitutions. Dates, also hot, were nutritional, but could cause digestive trouble, especially bloating of the stomach. Plums came into two kinds. The ripe sweet fruit were less moist and cold, whereas when unripe they could help to move bowels and lower fevers. Apples, which were moist and cold, invigorated the liver and heart. Digestive problems occupied a significant role in the dietary texts. As we have seen, monks like Bernard of Claveau and Hilarion, who maintained strict and repetitive diets over a number of years, suffered from poor digestions late in life. Remedies could be found in common monastic food taken in the right way. Figs, dried and fresh, were good if eaten before the meal as an hors d'oeuvre, but bad for the digestion if eaten as a dessert. Obstructed bowels could be alleviated by drinking the water from the cooking of lentils or cabbage, particularly if flavored with olive oil. The same was true of the water in which crustaceans have been cooked. Water used to cook fenugreek purged unhealthy humors from the digestion, especially if mixed with little honey, beets, sorrel and other herbs, though in some manuals considered to produce bad humors, could be beneficial in purging the bowels in the same way. Similarly, the manuals recommended eating different kinds of food at different seasons of the year. In January, for example, garlic was recommended for seasoning all foods. Rocket, leeks, celery, rue, mint and lavage were also suggested. In February, however, no beets or wild vegetables were to be eaten, whereas throughout March, sweet flavors were thought advisable, albeit in moderation. Some of this advice is logical in the sense that it corresponds to the kinds of foods naturally in season at any given time of the year. Most wild vegetables are not at their best, or indeed edible, in the winter months, before the first growth of spring, or in high summer when seed pods and heads have formed. Above all, the intention was to aim at moderation and balance. And that's it. That's a quick guide to humoral theory and dietetics from the ancient world to the medieval Europe. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode and um, and also, strictly speaking, wasn't about um, recipes and cuisine. Still, it was about um, how people ate and thought of food and what kind of foods they ate throughout the year in order to keep their bodies um, healthy and fit. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I've been Thomas Dinas and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Remember, if you want to find um, ancient recipes, writings and musings, uh, then go to my Patreon page, the Delicious Legacy Podcast, where you'll find uh, a lot more stuff there. And um, if you want, you can contribute um, something to help keep the podcast going. And also, if you're a Patreon backer and a subscriber, you get a um, ton of uh, different extra things as a thank you. So you'll have exclusive recipes. Uh, some podcasts will be longer with more uh, exclusive material. Also, uh, I've been filming some uh, ancient recipes in my own recipes too. So these will be up in Patreon soon. 
if you want to subscribe. Have a lovely week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.